0: Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. Today our topic is going to be going through Samaria. Let's begin today in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, beginning in the first verse, it says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Saqqar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Verse 4 is very important. It said, And he must needs go through Samaria. This is a verse that's far too frequently passed right over, without a second thought. But it's a very revealing verse. It reveals things that we can apply in our own lives. Nothing in Scripture is there by mistake. Nothing is in there for no reason or just only for descriptive purposes. Everything, even the things that would never seem to on first glance, have some deeper meaning from which we can obtain important lessons, and it's no different with this particular verse. The first thing that sticks out is the wording of it. It said he must needs go. The two key words there are must and need. Those are indicative that this was something that he had to do, whether he wanted to or not. It was something necessary. It could not be done. It also implies that this may have been something that his natural side didn't want to do, but still had to do anyway to fulfill his purpose there. The wording didn't just say that he went through Samaria, or he felt like going through Samaria, or he desired to go through Samaria. It said he must needs go through Samaria. So we have to ask ourselves why? What made this route so necessary? Why wouldn't he be able to go some other way, or was there even another way? We know his starting place and his destination. Verse 3 told us, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, Samaria lay directly in the path between these two places. This was the shortest and most common route. The historian Josephus said that this was the customary way for Galileans to get to Jerusalem during the feast there. This particular route, however, wasn't the only one that existed. There was another. The Pharisees didn't take this route. They took a far more circuitous route. They went out of their way on the longer road through Perea in order to avoid contact with the country and the people of Samaria. This route would take the traveler on the east side of Jordan by the Royal Valley. Knowing that the Pharisees took the other route is also interesting being that the Pharisees were the reason that he left in the first place. Verses 1-2 to two told us, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, then immediately verse 3 begins with the phrase, He left Judea. He left because of the Pharisees, so why would he then take the same road that they were prone to take? But there's even more to this too. We have to look at a little more of the history of this specific area that we're referring to. Verse 5 told us, Then come a few to a city of Samaria, which is called Saqqar near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. It's important that we understand the history of this city too. Sakkar was originally named Shechem. Jacob was the one who purchased this land. Genesis chapter 33 verses 18 and 19 say, And Jacob came to Shalem, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padanaram, Aram, and pitched his tent before the city. And he bought a parcel of the field, where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. This land he then gave to his son Joseph, right before he died, when he was giving to his sons their blessings and their inheritances in Genesis chapter 48. We then find further evidence of it belonging to Joseph in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 32, which says, And the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem, and a parcel of ground which Jacob bought of the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver, and it became the inheritance of the children of Joseph. Now we know that the two children of Joseph were Ephraim and Manasseh, which is important to keep in mind. During the time of Jesus, the Jews now called the city Sichar, which was an intentional corruption of in the city's name. It was meant as a term of reproach towards them. It was by this that they intimated it was a town of drunkards, a town of lies, or a heathen town. Isaiah 28 and 1, speaking of the same area, reaffirms this view. It says, Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which are on the head of the fat valleys of them that are overcome with wine. Not only was this a known character and reputation of the town, but it's a well-documented fact that during the time of Jesus, and really throughout all of their history, there was hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews. The Jewish travelers were exposed to many difficulties from them due to this hatred. Hosea chapter 6 verses 9 to 10 say, And as troops of robbers wait for a man, so the company of priests murder in the way by consent, for they commit lewdness. I have seen a horrible thing in the house of Israel. There is the whoredom of Ephraim. Israel is defiled. This was their character. It wasn't something new in Jesus' time. This was something going on for many generations. We even find him personally encounter that hatred and rejection of the Jews in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 9 verses 51 to 53 say, And it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and send messengers before his face. And they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him, because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. They wouldn't receive him, because he was from Israel, going towards Jerusalem. This was the way they were, this is how they operated, and this was the land for which he must needs go. The skeptic will immediately say that Jesus' decision to go through Samaria contradicts what he told the disciples in Matthew chapter 10 verses 5 to 6, which tell us, These twelve Jesus sent forth, and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But we have to keep this in its proper context. He was telling them this because the gospel is first presented to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. It wasn't that they were never to go into Samaria, but not at that time. They were to wait until God's appointed time to reveal and present the gospel to the Gentiles. So what can we as Christians today learn from this? What lessons can we apply in our daily lives? Our Samaria is the world. And sometimes, like Jesus, there are times when we must needs go for the world, when we have to go through hostile territory, when we have to go into areas and be with people that hate us and want to rob and steal from us. They try to steal our hope, steal our joy where they wanted to fame and defraud us and ruin our reputation, where they refused to give us any rest or any right to travel amongst them freely. Sometimes we have to go that direction. That's a route where we're not guaranteed an easy passage. That's a route full of unexpected detours, dilemmas, and derailments. But for the Christian, it's still the most direct route to our destination. Our destination is our purpose, what God's called us to do which we find in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, which says, Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. This is our mission, and in order to do this, in order to go ye therefore, we can't just continually stare where we are. We're called to be a people of action, not people who are continually sedentary and stationary. We have to be ready and willing to go out into the world, into the devil's territory, and reach people for Christ. And we can't reach people if we're never where they are. Many today, especially the legalists, the religious elite, and the holier-than-thou type of Christians, don't go through Samaria. They do what the Pharisees of old did. They go far out of their way to avoid any contact with the world. They'll go to great lengths to avoid them. They do mental and spiritual gymnastics to attempt to justify what they know can't be justified. They want to stay amongst their own people. They want to stay in their comfort zone. They want to stay where they'll be accepted. They know the mission just as well as we do. They know that they're called to go ye therefore, but they're not willing to go. The long route is the easy route. It stays within our own territory. There's not so much danger, not so much opposition, not so much potential for attacks. But we know that the devil only attacks people who bear fruit because they're the ones that are a threat to him. The legalists view the world just like the Pharisees viewed Samaria. They look down on them, and instead of loving the people of the world while hating their actions like we're called to do, they hate both the people and their actions. They look at them as drunkards, liars, and heathen, and instead of desiring to show them the love and grace of God and calling God to save them, they just stay away from them. This is turning the blind eye. This is the passing by the stranger on the street who needs help, while the good Samaritan, the one everybody hates, is the one who stops to help. They just pass by a dying, hopeless world, crying out for help, and do nothing. They justify this by citing James 1 and 27, which says, "...pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world." They think that being unspotted from the world means that they can never have any contact or interaction with them. They just stay completely apart, and then fervor justify it by saying that it's necessary for guarding their minds and their hearts from the influences of the world. Which is definitely necessary. We do need to guard our minds and our hearts. But is that how we go about it? Is that really what we're called to do? That mindset goes against everything else that we know to be true from Scripture. So if completely avoiding them isn't how we stay unspotted from the world, how should we interact with them? If we must needs go through Samaria, how do we conduct ourselves when we're there? The mistake that many Christians make today is that they answer this question with either one of the extremes, both of which are equally dangerous. There are some Christians who completely stay away from the world and have no interaction with them, insulating themselves in a Christian bubble. And then there are others who think that in order to reach the world, they have to go into the world and become like them, thinking that if they're doing the same things and living in the same way, that they'll be more relatable to them. But the problem with this is that it makes us indistinguishable from them. And why would someone want to come to Christ when they look at our life and it's no different than their own? If they see us living the same life they're living, how can we exemplify that there's a better way to live? All they'll see is just more of the same more the same like that they're inwardly, so desperately trying to escape. The answer isn't either of those extremes. It's in the middle, because we need balance. We're not to be completely apart from the world, and we're not to be completely immersed in it either. We're to be in it, but not of it. Just like a ship is in the water, the church is meant to be in the world. It's not a problem until the water gets into the ship. And in a similar way, it's not a problem until the sinfulness and the ways of the world get into us. But just being there, just being a witness for God in a hostile land, isn't a problem. It's something that we shouldn't avoid. It's something that we're commanded to do. It's what God called us to do. The devil wants us to do what the Pharisees did. He wants us to stay in our own territory. He wants us to always be playing defense, always just holding the line, and not letting them come any further. He never wants you playing offense and coming into his territory and beating back his armies. That's how you take back ground from the enemy. You never do it by staying in your own land, and you never do it by defecting and becoming one of his people either. The only way is to go into the enemy's territory and fight him on his own turf. It's when we do that that the opposition increases and that the battle becomes much more difficult, which is why we find so many people not willing to do it. In chapter 4, Jesus met the woman at the well, who was delivered and set free. He would have never met her. Her deliverance never would have happened if he had just stayed in Judea. This is one of the reasons why he had to go this way. Sometimes we find the same to be true in our lives too. If we never go into the world, if we never go into the devil's territory, if we're never willing to face the hatred and the opposition, there will be people we were meant to reach who will never know about or experience the freedom that they could have had. The only reason we're saved today is because someone reached out to us and shared the gospel with us. So why shouldn't we be willing to do the same for others? We'll meet opposition along the way, The devil will try to steal our joy and our peace from us in the process. He'll try to beat us down and weary us and try to tell us that we should give up and that it's not worth it. But anything that we go through now is incomparable with seeing someone come to salvation. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 and 17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. A message can never be received if a messenger never comes. We're the messengers, we're the representatives of God, and it's our job to reveal God to the world around us. Let's go further in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, beginning in the 19th verse, it says, The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mount, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh, when ye shall neither in this man, nor yet at Jerusalem, worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is the Spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Here we find a must. We must worship him in spirit and in truth. Here Jesus is teaching the woman about worshiping the Lord, how it's not about the place that we do it in, but about how we worship. Where to worship unequivocally in spirit and in truth. This is a command. This is an order. Verse 22 is very revealing. It said, Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. The church has salvation. We know our God. We know why and who we worship. We've experienced the love and the grace of God. This is why we have to go and show people what we know, what we've seen, and what we've felt. Because the world today is looking for a God. They put their hope in all types of functional saviors that vainly attempt to take God's place. But these never suffice, and they never will. Paul said in Acts chapter 17 and verse 23, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. The Samaritans were ignorantly worshipping, worshipping they know not what. That should come as no surprise to us because of the hatred that they showed to the Jews. Hatred is always one of the greatest indicators of ignorance. For those in the world, it's our purpose, it's God's will for us, that we make known to them the unknown God. And we can only do that by going and telling them what we know. John chapter 4 and verse 42, speaking of the Samaritans, says, And said unto the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the savior of the world. They believe because he came and told them of the truth. When we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us as we're in the midst of the world, he will show himself through us and draw others to himself. When we step out of our comfort zone and reach out to the world around us, we will see a harvest, even in a hostile land. We also have to note that it said he must needs go through Samaria. It said through Samaria. He was just passing through. He wasn't staying there and dwelling there. We're meant to pass through the world. It's not to be our home. We're not to dwell with them. We're just visitors on a journey. We're just pilgrims and sojourners. We're just strangers and aliens in a strange land. The last thing that we need to look at is the importance of the land itself. As we saw earlier in Genesis chapter 33 and verse 19, it said, And he bought a parcel of a field where he had spread his tent. At the hand of the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. The word parcel here in the Hebrew also means heritage, which means that this was something perpetual. It was given to Israel and belongs to them forever. The world is the same way. It belongs to us. Psalm 24 and 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. Since we're heirs and joint heirs with Christ, since we've been adopted by the Father, It means that the world rightfully belongs to us. Right now, this world is enemy-occupied territory, and the devil is illegally operating and exerting control over it. In the natural, if you own a property and someone is illegally residing on it, you have both a right and a responsibility to evict them, and if need be to forcibly remove them from the property. It works the same way in the spiritual. This is why we must needs go into Samaria, into the world. We have a responsibility to take back ground from the enemy, to evict the devil, to cast him out, to tell him that he has to flee and not return. And we know that he'll never leave of his own accord. We have to remove him by force, which is one of the reasons that the second half of Matthew 11 and 12 says, the kingdom of heaven suffer of violence and the violent take it by force. We know that if we resist him, it's promised that he will flee. That's definite. Today we have to make the choice to follow the call of God and go ye therefore. There's people all around us who need a touch from God, and sometimes the only thing between them and their deliverance is our decision to reach out. There are times when we must needs go through Samaria, times when we may not want to go, when our natural carnal mind may tell us that it's better to stay where we are, where there's less opposition, where we're comfortable, but the Spirit urges us to go into the enemy's camp and to conquer and to take a spoil from it. The harvest is many, but the laborers are few. There's not many who are willing to go the hard way, But when we show not only our willingness, but also our eagerness to touch the lives of those around us, when we operate with a sense of urgency to reach a dying, hopeless world, we will find a harvest, even in spite of all the opposition and all the setbacks that we may face along the way. Today we have the opportunity to be a part of that harvest, but we have to be willing to go into the field. Let's close in prayer. Lord, today we thank you, That even during those times when we must go through Samaria, when we must go through the world, that you hold our hand all the way through, that you never leave and never forsake us, that you hold our hand all the way through the valley of the shadow of death, and that you bring us out, not only out of the valley, but up unto the top of the mountaintop. Lord, today we thank you that there's a great harvest coming. We thank you for all the lives that are going to be brought to you. Lord, today we claim the lives of those around us for you. We speak life upon them. We proclaim deliverance and freedom for the captives that are bound. And Lord, we thank you that today you're setting them free, that you're opening up their eyes and their ears, that you're freeing their minds so that they may see and hear and think clearly. And Lord, we thank you for the healings and the miracles and the wonders that are on the way, for the good and the great and amazing things that you have planned and set apart for your people. And Lord, we thank you that when we go out into the world, into the devil's territory, into a hostile land, and make known our urgency and our willingness and our earnestness to touch the lives of those around us, that you will use us as a vessel in your service, that you'll send us out into the field to reap from the harvest. And Lord, we thank you that we can be one of those laborers. And Lord, we trust and we thank you that the work that we do in the field will go on to glorify and honor your name. And Lord, today we give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to go through Samaria and reap a harvest and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for His forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for His free gift of eternal life. Now, if you prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We wanna thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingsworthbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from, and if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all, and we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.